Nehemiah chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Somebody say three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. I told no one. Somebody say, tell no one. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, see, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which he had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, somebody say they said. Come on, somebody say they said. They said, let us rise up and build. Can you prophesy to somebody next to you? Just look them in the eye. Tell them, rise up and build. Come on, type it in the chat. Rise up. This is a season to rise up. It's not a season to shrink back. It's certainly not a season to wait to see what happens. This is a season to rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. I have a question for you. What good work have you set your hands to? Have you risen up and built, and are you building what God has called you to build? Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We are grateful that we can call you Father. We can call you friend. That we are the chosen of the Lord. God, you desire to do great things in our midst. God, we pray for this time that we have together. It wouldn't be normal. It wouldn't be average. It just wouldn't be informational. But God, it would be inspirational that the Spirit of God would rest on every word. God, that you would take us one step closer to the perfect plan, the destiny, the purpose that you have for us. The matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. Amen. And amen. We are uh, in a series called Blueprint. Somebody say Blueprint. And what we're talking about is this church that God has given us to build, Union Church. The whole point of this series is to help us understand, as I'm calling Union Church home, this is the place where me and my family are building, and we're believing that God has called us here. What exactly are we building? How many people know it's pretty difficult to build something without directions? Without instructions, without the plans, me and my uh, children are working on a Lego set. We've been working on the same Lego set for the last four days straight. One of the things that irritates me about Legos is they don't have any words. It's just pictures. And all the pictures are distorted. All the pictures are off. None of the Lego colors in real life are the same colors in the directions. And I'm just like, I need to write corporate. Because it is pretty difficult to build what's on the box based on the instructions that they've given us. 
It's so important for me that we understand that we're not going to church just to go to church. Somebody say amen. You got to understand something about your pastor. I'm a pastor's child, which means that there's a spirit of I don't want to that I am fighting for the rest of my life. I'm just one of those people where it's the right thing to do is not good enough for me. I don't know if it's being a pastor's kid and it's just all the rebellion that we kind of have running in us, but it's what good people do is just not good enough for me. And I find so many people, their pursuit of God or their attendance to church is based on the way you were raised. It's based on the fact that that's just what good Christians do. That's just what I'm supposed to do until a panoramic hits. And next thing you know, we're thrown out of our rhythms of life. We're thrown out of the norm. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. We can get the word online. And it's only when our commitment is tested that we actually have to evaluate, why was I going? Why was I a part of it? What was I doing? Was it just to be encouraged once a week, or was I actually building something? Because if I'm building something, I can't stop halfway through. Y'all, we're building something. We're actually erecting something. And hear me. We are not building an organization. We're not building an edifice. We're not building buildings. We're not building brands. We are building people. The Bible says this in Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Here is what we as Union Church are building. We're building your life. Because the church are the people of God tightly knit together. And as we are built, the church of God is built. We're building your faith. We're building your hope. We're building your purpose. We're building your marriage and your kids and your finances so that every single area of your life can prosper, can move forward. Come on, Columbia. Somebody say amen. amen. And we're not just building for our own selves. We're not just building for a comfortable life. We're not just building so that things can be good. Hear me, there's nothing wrong with life being good, but it will never be as good as it could be in eternity. Doesn't matter how great it is down there, it's always better there. So here he left us for one purpose, to build a life that can bring hope and freedom and healing to people around us. That is what we are building. But there's a process to building. You can't put a roof on before you've laid a foundation. You, you, you can't install the electrical work and the plumbing work until you've built out the rooms. There's steps to the process. And, and here's my goal as your pastor, that you know what the steps are, that you know where you are in the process. And more importantly, you know what part of this building God has called you to build. I've always had a passion uh, for real estate. I don't know if you're one of those people. Real estate folks, they always have a real estate app open. It doesn't matter. Anybody like that? It doesn't matter if you're looking for a house. You could have just bought a house three days ago. You have no intentions of buying a house. You may not even have money to buy a house, but you still have that app open, and you're just kind of looking. Let's see what's available. Let's see what's here. I, my wife, is always worried because I'm always looking at houses. and She's like, babe, we just got here. I don't want to leave. I didn't even get our pictures up on the wall yet. And I'm like, calm down. <laughs> 
I'm just scrolling. I actually bought my first house when I was 22 years old. It was an absolute dump. But I saw nothing but profit in it. I said, this, this is going to be a good one. I nearly lost my shirt. But by the end of the day, when we finally sold it, I actually made an amazing profit on it. And I've just been kind of buying real estate and researching and all that other good stuff. And that never really came up in our marriage counseling prep. So my wife had no idea what she had gotten herself into. About three years ago, we were looking for a house uh, to move into. We were about two months away from our second boy, Roman, being born. And I, I just found a house that I'm telling you was a gift from God. It was a, a Tudor-style home. And if you know anything about Tudor-style home, they're, they're from the medieval period uh, in England. And uh, this house looked like it was built during the medieval period. We actually got there uh, before the realtor did for the walkthrough, and when I knocked on the door, a ghost opened the door and said, come on in. And I was thinking about this analogy, and I do have to reference just for biblical uh, accuracy, there are no such thing as ghosts. This is just a story, amen? amen? We walked in to the most decrepit, haunted house you have ever seen in your life. We pull up, and I'm just like, babe, can you see it? We're going to cut down all the woods that are hanging off of the roof right there, and then we could repaint this and, and just kind of put on a new face to the house, and it's going to be amazing. And Zai goes, I am not getting out the car. Where have you brought me? And I'm like, babe, you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. The realtor pulls up and is getting ready to walk through. And you know you're in trouble when the realtor said, wow, well, I was surprised to get this call. <laughs> Haven't really shown this place in a long time. We walk in, and I'm telling you, all I could see was potential. All I could see was what it could be. All my wife and the realtor could see was the furry animals that were running around and the cracked glass, and we're going through room by room by room. We're looking at a stove that I'm pretty sure George Washington himself cooked on. We look at what's left of the fireplace as there's only about half of it left, and they said it was a hole in the roof. All I saw was a skylight. I mean, everywhere you went, there was potential. Finally, we went upstairs into the master bedroom, and y'all, they had a walk-in bathroom that was fit for a king. Now, I was a little concerned because they had painted the walls black. I thought it was a little strange to paint the walls of a bathroom black. I went in first. My pregnant wife came in after me. The realtor said, oh, we got to get out of here. I said, what's wrong? He said, that's not black paint. That's black mold. You guys sound like my wife. Do you know what that was? It was a discount. It was 20% off the purchase price. It was nothing but potential. I don't know why the realtor went running out the door. My wife went running after the door. I'm sitting there with my camera. Oh, my goodness. I get 50000 off just for this black whatever. <coughs> whatever this is. This is. <laughs> it all depends on how you see it. One person can look at something and can't see past the black mold. That is probably the reason why my son has six toes. <laughs> Somebody else can walk into the exact same space 
and see nothing but potential. This passage that we're reading in Nehemiah chapter 2, we find Nehemiah in the process where he's coming back to his hometown. Jerusalem had turned their back on God once again, and and as they did, God said, well, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to remove my hedge of protection away from you. You see, what we don't understand is we don't need God to curse us. We just need God to step back from us, and life will do the damage that it does. And here comes in Israel's enemies, and they drag them off. And as was the custom of the time, they would only take the strong and the the educated and those that were able to actually to produce to society. They would leave the elderly and the feeble and those that weren't able to produce much. But to ensure that that city never thrived again, they would tear down the walls, and they would burn the gates, and they would leave the city in destruction. And here's Nehemiah after getting permission from the king. He comes back to Jerusalem and he begins to inspect the walls and he begins to look at the gates and he begins to say, we can rebuild this city once again. This city can once again be to the level of glory that God intended for it to be. Here's my only question for today. How come Nehemiah was able to see a potential that nobody in the city was able to see? Because for every single person that was in that city, they walked past those burned gates every single day. They walked by those walls that were torn down, that were destroyed every single day. And here's what I've discovered. You can be so accustomed to destruction that you accept it. You can be so accustomed to dysfunction that you accept it. Everybody yells and screams in their marriage. Everybody throws things. This is just normal. Just look straight ahead. Just smile. You're not talking to me. Just understand. That's not normal. Everybody goes through weeks and weeks of discouragement and depression and anxiety and fear. I, I know five other people who listen to me. It may be what other people go through, but it's not what God has for you. It's not the normal that he's called you to walk in and to live in. He said, I've called you to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath. You are a royal priesthood. You are a child of the most high God. And one of the purposes of church is to be a place that opens your eyes to see that the destruction around you is not what God called you to deal with, God called you to live with, God called you to walk with. You need inspiring that you can rebuild that which the enemy has torn down in your life. Here's the thing about church. Without church... You'll never receive the eyes to see what something could be. If you never have the eyes to see what something could be, you will find yourself settling beneath what Christ died on the cross for you to walk in. One of the things that genuinely breaks my heart is when there's so many people, both believers and unbelievers, that are living at a place beneath the price that Christ paid for them. That literally Christ paid the ultimate price, but we're living at a level that is so much below all that he purchased for us. 
So what I want to do, I'll just give you just three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts of why was Nehemiah able to see what nobody else in that city was able to see. If you could write this down, the first thought is this. We need to understand who sent us. One of the reasons why Nehemiah was able to see what nobody else was able to see was because Nehemiah was sent by the king. Nehemiah was one of the nobles in Israel, and then when they were taken off into captivity, Nehemiah was put into service. He had to have been intelligent. He had to have been favored. He had to have been gifted because he was put in the service of the king. Now, it may sound, man, can you imagine you were kidnapped, taken into captivity, and you had the honor, you had the privilege to work for the king. You actually handed the king his cup. It's not as pretty as it sounds, y'all. You see, Nehemiah was a cup bearer, and the purpose of the cup bearer was to taste the king's wine before the king drank it. Now, that means like, oh my goodness, that's a job right there. I can get turned all day long, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all I'm doing, Riesling, Chardonnay, what you know about me? He wasn't drinking the wine to make sure that it was the right blend for the king. He was drinking the wine because people would try to assassinate the king through poison. So Nehemiah would sip the wine, and the king would watch him and wait about 60 seconds. And if he didn't flop over foaming at the mouth, then the king would say, all right, I'll see you at dinner. So watch this. Nehemiah spent his entire life from a position of, this day could be my last. This could be the last moment that I'm walking on earth. Hear me. When you understand how limited life is, you begin to live with an intentionality that other people don't live with. When you understand, the Bible says, Lord, teach us to number our days. When you understand that every day from God is a gift, that every day from God is a privilege, it's not to be wasted, it's not to be taken for granted, it's not to be thrown away, that I must maximize this day. When you think you have forever, you live as if you have forever. But when you live 24 hours at a time knowing that God has graced me with this time, here's my prayer. God, I don't want to live fearful, paranoid, or afraid of dying. God, but help me value the days that you have given me. There's something about people who drink the cup of the king that live with a level of intentionality that other people don't. Can I preach for a second? There were two disciples that came up to Jesus and they wanted to be in charge. They, they, they wanted to be great, but they weren't bold enough to ask Jesus themselves. So they had their mother come to Jesus and say, can my son sit on your right and on your left? Just hear me. If your mama has to make the introduction, I'm not quite sure if greatness is in your future. They said, oh God, can my son sit on your right and sit on your left? The positions of authority next to the king. Jesus ignored the mother because he knew who the question was coming from. And he looked at these disciples and he said, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Can, can, can I preach just for a second? Living a life of purpose requires drinking a cup of death. Living a supernatural life requires drinking a cup of death. Pastor, that sounds pretty crazy. 
here's what Jesus said. Unless you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you'll never gain it. And only those who are willing to lose their life for my sake will actually gain life in the first place. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup of death depart from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Somebody say, make it plain. You'll never build the marriage that God has called you to build unless you're willing to die to yourself. You'll never build the finances that God has called you to build unless you're willing to die to yourself. You'll never build the church that God has called us to build in this region that will transform tens of thousands of lives unless we are willing to die to ourselves. And hear me, dying to yourself is painful. It's as painful as it sounds because it's living life from a position of it's not about me. And everything in life is about me. I pick where I want to live based on what I like. I pick where I want to eat based on what I like. I pick my career based on my gifts and my abilities and my passions. Everything in my life is about what works best for me. And then all of a sudden I step into the kingdom of God and it's a completely different mindset. And as uncomfortable as it is, it's the church that teaches us, if you want everything that you want, you got to forget about what you want. And you got to start thinking about the king that sent you. Nehemiah goes to the king and the king says, I've never seen you sad in my presence. That's just a whole nother message for a whole nother day. Can your boss say to you, I've never seen you without joy. Because the Bible says that's what separates us. That's what defines us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's so much to preach and not a lot of time. Half of my thought is Nehemiah had a level of joy that when he was not joyful, it was obvious to everyone because of the presence of God in his life. The other thought of that message is this. Nehemiah was so trusting of the king that he was willing to be transparent in his presence. That when he was heartbroken, he was willing to allow the king to see it. I've learned that I'll never be sent by the king as long as I don't trust the king. I've learned that I'll never be favored by the king. I'll never be commissioned by the king. I'll never be called by the king unless I can be real in the presence of the king. And for some reason, we're treated, we're taught in church, you can't be real. You can't be broken. You can't have it not all put together. You have to look like God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And I'm too blessed to be stressed when I'm really too stressed to be blessed. And unless he was not honest enough with the king, to show his heartbreak, the king would have never asked, what can I do for you? And it's in that conversation where the king said, I'm sending you to rebuild the city. I'm giving you papers to let every nation know not to mess with you. And I'm actually going to provide all the timber and all the lumber. And watch this. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long? Somebody say, how long? Come on, Columbia, you're with me. Somebody say, how long? How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and to set him a time. 
Here is Nehemiah in the presence of the king. The king said, why are you so sad? Because my city is destroyed. He said, I'm going to send you with favor. I'm going to send you with grace. I'm going to send you with provision. How long is it going to take? When the king sends you somewhere, he expects you to return. When the king sends you to accomplish something, he expects it to be accomplished in a certain amount of time. And while Nehemiah had the favor of the king, he had the provision of the king, he had the blessing of the king, he also had the timeline of the king. I just wonder if the things that we're building in our lives, we see them as mandated by the king. Because if they were mandated by the king, we might have a little bit more urgency about us. What if the king of kings and the Lord of lords asked you, how long is it going to take you to pay off that debt? Because I have plans for you after you're done, and I'm waiting. Let me know. What if the king of kings and the Lord of lords asked us, how long is it going to take you to let go of that bitterness? Because there's certain things in building our own lives that we think we're the only one it affects. We think we're the only one that cares anything about it, so there's no urgency, there's no pressure, there's no timeline, because it's like when I get around to it, I'll get around to it. When I fix it, I'll fix it. But when you understand that you've been sent by the king, you understand that there's a timeline to what you're doing. There's actually an urgency to what you're doing, because there's something on the other side of it. Hey, Union Church, we're sent by the king which means he's expecting us to take a city in a certain amount of time. Because after we've dominated the BWI region, there's another location that God has called us to impact with the power of God. After we've dominated Howard County, there's another region that God has called us to impact for the glory of God. After Baltimore County blows up, then there's the Towson location and the Rockville location and the PG County. There's a timeline. I'm not gonna lie to you, people get around me like, Pastor, you're a little wired. Why, why are you so aggressive? Because there's a clock that's ticking. There's a king that has sent us on a mission. There is something that he has called us to do. I'm in the season uh, where my Smurfs are, um, they don't like to sleep. I was leaving the house this morning around, around six or something in the morning. And Zoe said, Daddy. I said, Zoe, your alarm clock didn't go off. Why am I seeing you? And she knows how to play me. She's like, Daddy, can I give you a hug? I said, come give me a hug. She comes down the stairs. She doesn't look at me. Who, who else is here? What's going on? What am I? I said, did you come to give me a hug or not? I'm kind of just in that stage where I can't wait till my kids grow up. I can't wait till they can wipe their own behind. And I'm not huddled over a toilet any longer. And just for the fun, we decided to make another one. So it's going to be at least another 18 years. All those of you with teenagers, you empty nesters, you're, come on now, that's a praise break. <laughs> Y'all are saying, Pastor, enjoy this moment because they grow up so fast. You're a liar. They're not growing fast. They're the same height they were last week. They can speed it up. Man, what if we live life with the urgency of this season passes so fast? And at some point, I got to go back to the king and report what I did in this season. And he may ask me, why did it take you so long? 
to forgive that person because there's so much more I wanted to do in that season, but it took you so long. Here's one of the goals of Union Church. Can I just say it like it is? To light a fire up under you and to let you know you are called by the king. You are mandated by the king. You are building on the king's behalf. And there is a timetable of expect expectation that eternity has for you. The second thought is this, write this down. One of the reasons why I think Nehemiah was able to see what other people didn't see because he was willing to do the preparation work. If we're going to build according to what the king has called us to build, if we're going to build with urgency, we're going to have to learn to do the prep work. In verse 12, it says this, then I arose at night. Nehemiah was shady. He was shifty. He, he didn't want everybody in his business. He said, I and a few, somebody say a few good men, a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So here it is, Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem. And can you imagine the shock of everybody? Like, they knew about Nehemiah. He was the king's cupbearer. He was a big deal. And he comes back to Jerusalem. I can just imagine how people bombard him. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Just chilling. Just chilling. Yeah, the king gave me a vacation. Not really how slavery works, but we'll ask that on a later day. One day goes by, nothing happens. Two days, three days. On the third night, Nehemiah wakes up in the middle of the night, and he grabs just a few men, and he said, let's go inspect the wall. Kind of reminds me once again of the Garden of the Gethsemane where it wasn't the 5,000 that ate the loaves and the fish that Jesus pulled aside with him. It wasn't the 3,000 that he fed, it was the 12. And in the middle of the night, while everybody else was sleeping, here's Jesus awake, drinking the cup that the king had given him. And while everybody else was asleep, here's Nehemiah examining the destruction of his city that needed rebuilding. Here's what I've discovered, that I'll never be intentional about building the life that God's called me to build, the church that God's called me to build, if I don't learn how to protect the vision that God's given me. For some of us, we kind of get excited about what God's called us to do, and we tell everybody on the first day. <laughs> I wish, you, you know how during election season, they had like all these fact checks. Every speech, they would come up with how many lies and how many truths were told. I wish we had that for Instagram. I wish every time somebody posted something, there was a little ticker on the bottom. Hey, check out my new crib. That's a lie. Hey, man, working on something big. Got these business ideas. It's going to be great. That's a lie. Here's what I've discovered. A true call of God, when God has truly called you to build something, you don't blast it to the world. You protect it in nighttime prayer. You see, it was at night that Jesus would steal away often to pray to his father. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Judas knew where to find Jesus because he prayed in the same place every single night. I wonder if our prayer life 
measures up to the level of what God has called us to build. I wonder if we have this vision of these godly kids that we want to raise, this business that God's called us to establish, this marriage that God's called us to build, this church that God's called us to build. But instead of just working on it, instead of just talking about it, instead of telling the world about it, we're stealing away in the deep of the night saying, God, God, can you bring this to life? God, can you give me vision? God, can you give me purpose? God, can you give me wisdom on how to build what you've called me to build all night long with just a few good men? Sounds like a small group to me. Here is Nehemiah examining the, he went from gate to gate to gate, looking at wall after wall after wall, assessing what it would take to build what God had called him to build. Here's what builders understand there's always setback. True builders understand there's always delays. True builders always understand there's unexpected things that come. And here's what I've discovered. Those that set out to build something, but they have not counted the cost of what it's to build. When that delay comes, when that setback comes, when that obstruction comes, they tap out. So because I fell in love and I got married based on the way that you looked, but I didn't take the marriage that God called me to build into prayer and counted the cost that in sickness and in health could be a reality. When sickness hits my marriage, I may not be able to say it verbally, but mentally I'm thinking, I didn't sign up for this. I sign up for the joy and the happy nights and all that other good stuff. Or maybe you set out to start a business and then some panoramic hits. And all of a sudden you realize, I, I didn't set out to run into this barrier. Here's what I've discovered. If we don't count the cost before we blast it to everybody. If we don't, oh, that sounds good. If we don't blast it to God in prayer before we blast it to our family around Thanksgiving dinner. Chances are we're going to start building something that we don't have the fortitude that can only be found in prayer to complete. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 it says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the high part of the wall and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. You go on to read that. That's what Habakkuk said. I'll write the vision and make it plain so that they that run can run with it. You may say, Pastor, where's the vision at? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going? Here's what we're doing with the vision in this season. We're laying it before God. And we're saying, God, can you correct it? God, can you give us wisdom? God, can you give us vision? God, can you give us purpose? One of my greatest mandates as the pastor of this church is to teach us how to pray over what God has called us to build, to teach us how to take it away into the secret place and say, God, you have mandated us to build this. You've called us to build this. So God, we're praying for your protection. We're praying for your favor. We're praying for open doors. We're praying that you would do what only you can do. The last step is this. If we're going to be able to build what God's called us to build, if we're going to be able to see things the way Nehemiah saw things, we're going to have to learn to see past the destruction. We're going to have to learn to see past the destruction. So here it is. Nehemiah gets into the city. And he looks at the same wall 
that all the inhabitants in the city had been looking at for years. He looks at the same gates that had been burned down years ago and that they walked by every single day. But for some reason, when Nehemiah looked at it, he saw potential. When they looked at it, they saw that's just my reality. It's just kind of what life is. It made me think, God, how can I begin to see like Nehemiah saw instead of seeing like I'm used to seeing? Here's just a thought across my mind. You can start playing. We're going to land this plane. For years, Nehemiah had been in the presence of the king. You got to understand how kings work. Kings don't do average. Kings certainly don't do broken. Kings don't do burn down. Kings don't do chaos and kings don't do disorder. So as it was Nehemiah's job to prepare atmospheres for the king, he would obviously get there before the king did. So Nehemiah would walk into a room and he would see servants running all over the place. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. We got to make sure this place is in order. And I just think after being in a place that was preparing an atmosphere for a king over and over and over and over again, and sometimes they would miss it and some would lose their head. You know, you learn not to miss things when you can lose your head off your shoulders for missing it. And they realize the king is concerned about this. The king is concerned about that. The king is concerned about this. He began to see through the eyes of a king instead of through the eyes of a servant. I just wonder, am I looking at my city through the eyes of a king? But man, jobs aren't as available as they need to be. And man, our school system's messed up, or man, this is this, or that is that, or this is this, or this is, or am I seeing through the eyes of a king of I can fix that? I have the resources to rebuild that. I know exactly how. Am I looking at my marriage through the eyes of a king, or am I looking at my marriage through the eyes of that's just the reality and that's just what I have to do? Am I looking at my finances through the eyes of a king? Or am I looking at it through the eyes of that's just what it is? I, okay, you know how I preach. I'm going to throw Stephen under the bus. And then can y'all jump under there with me? There's certain things that I've put up with in my life that I would not if I knew a king was coming. Come on now. Just think about all the dishes that are in your sink right now. <laughs> There's certain states of my house that I put up with because I know no king is coming to my house today. But if I knew that some king or some president or some dignitary, or hopefully you'll clean your house if the pastor's coming over. But if I knew somebody that I valued was coming to my house today, I would deal with things on a whole different level until I read scripture and I realize that gates are not just gates. Gates are people. Matter of fact, I am the gates. And the Bible says, lift up your head, O ye gates. Watch this, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O ye gates, that the king of glory may come in. 
Who is the king of glory, the one that is mighty and strong and glorious in battle? Here's what Nehemiah understood. We got to rebuild the gates because the king may come. And if the king comes, he doesn't want to ride through broken gates. He doesn't want to ride through burned down gates. He wants to ride through a place that has been prepared for his presence. But here's what I need to understand. The king wants to ride through my marriage. The king wants to ride through my finances. The king wants to ride through my business. The king wants to ride into the city through our church. We understood that as soon as we prepare gates that are worthy for a king to ride through, all of a sudden you're going to see the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What if the king just wants to ride into your business? And double it so you can employ 60 new families. What if the king wants to ride into your finances and triple it so that you can pay off the student loans of nieces and nephews and grandchildren? What if the king wants to ride through your life so that people can get healed of heartache and pain through your life? Are we preparing our gates in a way that a king can ride through? Why does Union Church exist? Union Church exists to help us understand there's a cup of death that we must drink if we're going to build what God's called us to build. There's a prayer life that we must commit to if we're going to protect the vision of what God's called us to build. And there's a vision that we're going to have to adopt. Not the vision of it's always been this way. This is what we have to deal with. But the vision of the king is coming. And we have a mandate to prepare a gate, an atmosphere that is worthy of a king. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. You are the king that has mandated us, that's called us, that he's equipped us, that's favored us, that's resourced us. God, you've sent us. And God, in this moment, we surrender the king. Have your way in our finances, in our marriage, in our ministry, in our lives. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe you've been dancing around the cup he's asked you to drink. That everything that he's put in front of you, you've seen it from the perspective of how does it affect me instead of how does it please the king. Maybe if you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor, I'm building my own thing. I'm not building God's thing for my life. I didn't even know he had a purpose or a plan or a desire to build something in my life. Here's the deal, he does. But the first thing he wants to build is a relationship with you. He did all the heavy lifting by hanging on the cross and dying for your sins, for my sins, for your mistakes and my mistakes. But he's waiting for us to accept the price that he paid for our forgiveness. Wherever you find yourself, whether you're watching or lying in the room, or in another country, you just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I know him, I believe in him, I've been to church. Maybe you've never heard of him you know that you don't have a relationship with God the way that you want to. 
it's my greatest privilege, my greatest honor to introduce you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that desires you more than you could ever imagine. Say, Pastor, I want that relationship in my life. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God, thank you for knowing me, for seeing me, for desiring for me to be a part of your family. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for giving your life so that I can be free, so that I can be forgiven. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest? That's a golf clap. Can you act like God is transforming lives, like heaven is rejoicing, like people are being added to the kingdom of God? Somebody shout hallelujah in this place.